Amen, amen. James, thank you so much. And to all you all here today, welcome to the church at Woodbine. It is a joy and pleasure seeing each and every one of you today. Chris, I just want to say thank you. So Chris is fluent in every language we speak here. So I don't know if you guys have paid attention as we go through scripture readings in other languages. He is almost spot on match with every, with every single slide, with every verse that's being read. So if you believe that, I have 10,000 acres of swamp land in Arizona for sale as well. So anyway, so no, but in all seriousness, Chris, thank you. And those who are worshiping online, welcome. We're so glad you've joined us. I've got a question before we pray. How many people here love Christmas? If you love Christmas, raise your hand. All right, another question. How many of you all had nightmares that you missed Christmas? In a dream, and all of a sudden Christmas has come and gone, and in your dream you you realized you missed it. How many? Okay, James, me and you. It happens to me almost every year. Usually it's in October or November. I'll have a dream, and so it means I'm processing something going on about missing something important, and I'm not an interpreter of dreams, but my wife kind of is. But I'll have these nightmares where, like, I wake up, and I'm doing my day, and all of a sudden I realize in the dream, Christmas is coming on. It's over. And in my dream, I'm so distraught that I've missed it. In Mexico, my favorite holiday was not Christmas. It was actually Thanksgiving. And there's a dear lady in our capital city. She lived about 45 minutes away. And she would invite all the expats to her house to celebrate Thanksgiving. And there would be 30, 40, sometimes 50 people there. And it was my favorite week because our ministry team, we would do Thanksgiving on Monday. And then four, three days later, we would then do real Thanksgiving at her house, at Leanne's house. And it was awesome. We didn't have TV We didn't have cable back then. Many of those years, there was no live streaming of any kind. And so at Leanne's house, I could sit there at like 10 a.m., watch three games of football, eat amazing food, and just be spoiled. It was awesome. And one year, I got sick as a dog on the weekend before. I thought, oh, I'll be okay. By Wednesday night, I was still sick. It felt like it was COVID, but this was like in 2010 or something like that. And I missed Thanksgiving that year. And I was devastated. Missing out on something that you long for, that you expectantly wait for, and you can't wait happen to happen, and then you miss it. It's an awful feeling. It's an awful experience. And today in 1 Thessalonians, as we are racing through this little letter, We're going to talk about Jesus' return when he comes back because the Thessalonians thought that they had missed it and they had severe questions and they're in despair. What happens to those of us who've already died and Jesus comes back? What are we going to do? Before that, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing day. Jesus, you are awesome. And Father, we thank you for your word. And it doesn't matter if we read it in English or Chinese or Spanish or Swahili or French. It is your word. It is your written word. And it's inspired by your Holy Spirit. And Father, as we read your word, may we truly encounter the living word who is Jesus. Father, give me your words. That would say only what you want, nothing else. Bring encouragement, bring strength, bring conviction, Lord Jesus. And Father, too, may we... Obey what Paul commands the Thessalonians to encourage one another with these words. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Jesus, you're the good shepherd. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. All righty. 
If you open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, or maybe turn on your smartphone, it will be up on the screen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. And we're actually going to run through half of chapter 5. We're going really fast today, and next week are our last two Sundays in 1 Thessalonians. I want to encourage you to reread this little letter again and again and again and again. Real quickly, this is a baby church, a young church. If you have not been here, I'll just share briefly. Paul and his ministry team on their second mission journey, they came to Thessalonica. They were there only three Sabbaths. Say three. Three. Oh, that's bad. Y'all are still sleeping. Three Sabbaths. They were teaching and preaching Christ, proclaiming the gospel. Several Jewish people got saved. Many of the Gentiles became Christians. There was so much persecution that Paul and his team had to flee. And so this new baby church are left all by themselves to fend for themselves, to make disciples who make disciples, to proclaim the gospel. And one of Paul's greatest concerns was, how are they going to survive with all the persecution? And they were being persecuted. It was happening. And as we've seen in our lives, we will be faced with trials, tribulations, and temptations. It happens. In Summer Sundays today, Shane... The director, the, the director of Begin Anew was sharing about one of the students in Begin Anew fled Egypt because of persecution of Christians. Now, we don't face any of that type of persecution here in the United States as some countries do. But we still face affliction. We still face trials and tribulation and temptations. We still face despair and grief, sometimes hopelessness, confusion, And these young Christians had several questions about some of their beloved believers, brothers and sisters who had already died. And because Paul was only there just for a few short weeks, they weren't taught everything that Jesus had shown Paul and that the early church was teaching about the faith and about our walk in Christ and even about the end times. When you read the New Testament, the apostles themselves were extended that Jesus would return soon. In their lifetime, they thought he would. Why? Because Jesus told the 12, I will return. I'm coming back soon. Be ready, be awake, don't fall asleep. So when we read the New Testament, they were expecting him to return in their life. Now we know he didn't. But there were numerous questions, when and how. I remember when I was in high school in 1988, a book came out called 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. If you were alive back then, do you remember this book? Now, my mom and I, I, we'd laugh at it. Why? Because Jesus himself said, only the Father knows the day and the hour when Christ will return. And yet this book says, 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. Hmm, something wrong there, right? I mean, it's a big deal. And back in the 80s, there was all this conversation. There were books written about the end times. There were creepy movies that came out in the late 70s and early 80s about the end times. I was showing my kids some of those last night. We were laughing at these Thief in the Night. I can't remember some of the other names. I remember going to a youth rally watching that. And the youth leader just scared us to death. All of us were accepting Christ 10 or 12 times that night. But the reality is this. Jesus will return. And for us as brothers and sisters who love Jesus, it'll be one of the most glorious days we'll ever experience in our eternal lifetime when we see Jesus face to face. But for those who don't don't know Jesus, it'll be a travesty 
in one of the most sad, horrific days that they'll ever experience. Because when Jesus comes back, oh, as we sang, waiting here for you. And was one of the Christmas songs, oh, long expected Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He will return. Now, right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and let's stand again. I'm going to read this again. We're going to get some exercise as we always do. If you can't stand, I totally get it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. <laughs> Look at what Paul says. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You may be seated. Encourage one another with these words. You see, what was happening is within Thessalonica, even though they had been believers for just a short time, several in the church have passed away, have died. We don't know why. Was it because of old age? Was it because of disease? Was it because of affliction? We don't know. But some of these dear brothers and sisters in Christ have already passed away. They've died. Paul refers to it here as sleep, have fallen asleep. It just means who are dead. Now, it does not mean as some religious sects say that when we die as believers, we kind of go into this unconscious state until Jesus comes back. No, absolutely not. Paul himself said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because Paul talked about, when I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. I don't know how it all is going to work out, but when we die, we will be with Jesus if we have put our faith in Jesus. It is an incredible, glorious hope. And it's not some random hope of like, I hope Tennessee is good this year in football. No, it is a hope that is anchored in the truth of God's word. We use the word hope like we use the word love way too flippantly. And it's not just, oh, I hope, oh, I hope. No, it is a clear hardcore, firm foundation of no, Jesus is coming back. And if we believe in Jesus, when we die, we will be with him. And it's a glorious, wonderful thing. And I think too many times I know for myself, I get so focused on living here, living for today, that I forget the fact that this is not my home. And one day Jesus is going to return. It's an awesome, amazing thing. Talking about Christmas, as a young child, my dad was a surgeon. He was a doctor. And for years, there was only him and his partner in the Jackson Madison County Hospital as general vascular surgeons. So he was on call every other day. Most of our Christmases, we didn't open our presents until around noon because he was in the hospital. And I can remember sitting on the front steps of our house, just I couldn't wait for him to come. Sorry if the camera's messed up, Chris, if it doesn't work. Just I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. And I knew dad was coming back. I wasn't just hoping. I knew he was coming back. And I couldn't wait for him to come back. In the same way, 
We should know with certainty. Why? Because God's word says Jesus is coming back. Now, I admit it's kind of weird. He's coming back on a white horse in the clouds with thousands and thousands of angels, plus everyone who has loved Jesus and who's passed away. They're coming back too. It's kind of weird, right? I mean, no wonder secularists and non-Christians think we're weird. But let's think about it. Our Savior, our King, our best friend, our Messiah, our Lord, he was born in a manger. He was a carpenter. He lived 2,000 years ago. And we claim that we have a personal relationship with him. And we do. He died on the cross. He was buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead. I mean, if that is not crazy, then what isn't? And yet Paul himself said, if Christ has not risen from the dead, we should be the most pitied of all humans. But he has risen. And because he's risen, his word is faithful and his word is true because he holds the keys to life and death. And if he can rise from the dead, and as Jesus himself said, look, I lay down my life. I take it back up again. No one can take my life from me. I do it willingly. If Jesus can willingly lay down his life, for you and for me and for the sins of the world and die. And then he raised up from death. How much more can he return riding on a white horse? That's easy for him. I'm kind of being facetious, but this is real stuff. One day, if we're alive, when he returns, we will see Jesus coming in the clouds, as it says right here. Margie asked me yesterday, will everybody on the planet see him? Absolutely. How? I don't know. Internet? But we will see him return. And it is a fact. And it should be a glorious, wonderful truth that we hold dearly in our hearts. Now, with end times prophecy, there are seven major hardcore beliefs within the Christian church. I'm talking big C church, not big C Brentwood Baptist church. I'm talking big C church about how the end times are going to happen. And unfortunately, denominations have started. People have killed each other. People have fought and divided over exactly how the end times is going to happen. And to be honest, it's tragic and very unfortunate that people will debate and even divide over is Jesus coming before the tribulation, after the tribulation? Is there a rapture? Is there not a rapture? Is it a literal thousand years that he's going to reign? Is it a literal seven-year tribulation? It just goes on and on. And I'm not making fun of it. But I'll let you know, if you're wanting to know, if, I, if, you're, wanting to, if you're wondering if I'm going to dissect exactly specific, specific, specific on how it's going to roll out, I'm not today. I'm not smart enough. That is way above my pay grade. But we will dissect what Paul says right here. Okay? So these Thessalonians are concerned. They're grieving because they've lost loved ones. They're in despair. They don't understand the end times. Some of them think and have been told that Jesus has already returned, so they're confused. It's such a big issue that Paul even addressed this issue in 2 Thessalonians. 
There's confusion. And so Paul is going to set the record straight. And as he says right here, we don't want you to be uninformed. We also don't want you to grieve as those who grieve without hope. In other words, we have hope. And we do grieve when we lose loved ones. But we don't have to grieve like the world does who have no hope. I watched my dad die of Parkinson's three years ago, and it sucks. It's a horrific disease from the pit of hell. It was awful watching him suffer for nine years. Just being honest. I watched my mom die of Lou Gehrig's disease a year ago. It's another disease that is horrific. And I told numerous people, I don't know how people can do this without Jesus. They just don't. And sorry for the word I said. But that's how filthy these awful diseases are. And when you lose a loved one, it's painful. Last, three weeks ago, this is my mom's cell phone. I've kept it in the drawer for almost a year. And my iPhone is like 20 years old. And she gave this to me before she died. And so I finally, three weeks ago, went to the Apple store to get it all transferred over. My dad's picture used to be on her iPhone. And I got in there, they erased everything. And I got all emotional. And it's weird when that happens. All emotional about it. But then the Lord reminded me, hmm, you'll see him again. Not because they're good people. Not because they love me well. But it's because of God's incredible grace and mercy through Christ that he saved and adopted both of them as his sons and daughters. And that is the blessed hope we have. Even though we grieve, we do not grieve like the world. And one day, and my parents are a million gazillion times well off, more well off now than we ever can imagine, free not only from sin, but from the sicknesses that took their bodies. It is a glorious thing. So when Paul says, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope, we have hope because Jesus is alive. And then Paul goes on and look what he says in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring him back and he'll bring back all those with him who've fallen asleep. Remember last week in our liturgy with the Lord's Prayer, what do we say? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We don't just say it just to say it. It is rock solid gospel truth. Jesus has died, he was buried, he rose again, and he will come again. This liturgy comes from right here. Verse 15, for we say this to you by a word from the Lord, by a word from the Lord. That is significant. All throughout this letter, Paul says, I'm not telling you this, this is God's word. Now, Paul was unique. He was one of the apostles. But we need to understand that when we proclaim the gospel and we proclaim God's truth, not our interpretation of God's truth, when we proclaim God's truth, we are his ambassadors. Everyone who believes in Jesus is an ambassador for Christ. And an ambassador is someone who's sent with the authority of the one who's doing the sending. It's not just the missionaries. Every single one of us who loves Jesus, we are ambassadors of Christ. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. And when we proclaim God's word and we proclaim his truth, it's with his power, it's with his authority. And right here, Paul, again, it speaks to me powerfully. 
We're telling you this is a word from the Lord that we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? Paul's going to explain it. Remember, the Thessalonians were really concerned. What about our loved ones who've passed away? Where are they? What's up? What's happening? He says, we who are still alive when the Lord returns, when Jesus returns, we're not going before those who've died. And then he explains it for the Lord himself. He'll descend from heaven with a shout. With the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God. Now, all these are visions of victory, of battle, of celebration. But with a shout, with a trumpet sound, with the archangel's voice, there will be a shout. Jesus describes it as a thief in the night. Jesus also describes it as lightning. As you see lightning go from the east to the west across the the sky, so the Son of Man will return. It'll be quick, it'll be instant, it'll be loud. No one's going to miss it. It's not going to happen in some corner. It'll be obvious, Captain Obvious. No one's going to miss it. And with this whole whole imagery of an archangel, that's a power and of might, and the trumpet sound, it is one of battle, it is one of victory. Because when Jesus returns, he will judge all things. He will destroy Satan. He will judge Satan. Everyone will give an account. And the last enemy, the enemy of death, that is death, will be thrown into Hades. And Jesus will reign. He's already reigning. But he will reign for all eternity and we will be in his presence. It's a glorious thing. Paul talks about it here. He says he will come and who will come with Jesus? Well, it's thousands and thousands of angels. But also those who've already fallen asleep, those who are dead, their spirits will be returning with Christ. And then it says right here, those who have fallen asleep, the dead in Christ will rise first. So this might sound kind of sick or gross or weird. Not sure how it's going to work if you've been eaten by a shark. But everyone who's died in Christ, their physical bodies are going to rise from the dead. And they'll be reunited with their spirits because, see, when we see Jesus face to face, when he returns, we will be given a new body, just like Jesus' body. Now, we'll still be able to recognize each other, but we'll be in perfect bodies. Praise the Lord. 20 kilos less, right? Yeah, amen, right? I hope hope we can fly. I hope this isn't the only time we're going to be able to fly. But the dead will rise, and then those of us who are alive when Jesus comes back, we will then ascend and we will meet Jesus in the air will be caught up. And that word for caught up is an instance, like a snatching. And we will meet him in the air. And the Greek that Paul wrote this in, it's one of celebration, of victory. It is like receiving a king coming back to his home city and the whole city comes out in great celebration. So when Jesus returns, all of his people, you and me, we will meet him in the air in glorious celebration. And what does it say right here? We will be with him always. And then Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. We grieve. We go through trials and tribulations, temptations, sickness, and loss. We will grieve. But we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Jesus 
is coming back and he's coming back soon. There's a passage that we looked at last week in Summer Sundays. It's from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but it's one of my best, most favorite books. That's horrible Forrest Gump English right there. But Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24, the author is encouraging his readers. He says this, and let us watch out for one another to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Another word for provoke is to spur. You know, the spurs on the cowboy boot. To spur one another, to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Not neglecting to gather together. During the summer, a lot of our small groups have stopped. But two weeks from today is what we call Advancement Sunday. Our life groups, our focus study groups Sunday morning will be opening back up. And then in August, our home groups will be starting back up. If you're not in a group, why? There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. All of us need to be in groups. We need healthy accountability. We need mentors and mentees. We need someone speaking into our life, and we need to be discipling someone else. We're commanded here, don't neglect gathering together in a small group and in corporate worship gathering. It's a both hand. Acts chapter 2 talks about it. The early Christians, they gathered daily in houses and in the temple complex for worship, prayer, Bible study, breaking of bread. It is vital because we need one another to encourage us to speak into our lives, to spur us on. I was going to do like this, but I guess a spur is that way, right? To provoke us to love and good deeds. We all need one another to love and good deeds. So Paul says, encourage one another with these words. Jesus is coming soon. We'll continue and really quickly. I mean, for me right here in 1 Thessalonians, this issue was such an issue that Paul devoted almost 20% of this letter to this one topic, the end times. He goes on to say right here in chapter 5, verse 1. Let's stand again. Y'all are getting sleepy. I'm just teasing. First Thessalonians chapter 5, right here starting in verse 1. About the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you don't need anything to be written to you. And then he goes on and writes you know, nine more, nine more verses. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. You know, those are Jesus' words. Jesus talks about that. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. For this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of of hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another 
and build each other up as you're already doing. All right, you may be seated. It might get confusing in this chapter here because Paul changes the meaning of sleep in this chapter here. At times, it means death. At times, it means spiritual lethargy, lethargic. That's what this chapter, when he refers to sleep, is don't be unconscious because when you're asleep, you're not aware of what's going on around you. You're being lethargic. Paul says, we don't need to write anything about to you about the end times and seasons and what's going to happen. You already know. It's like a thief in the night when the Lord returns. It's like pregnant. It's like pains of pregnancy for a woman when those labor pains come upon her. It's going to be quick. Jesus talks about it all throughout the Gospels, about being awake, be ready, watch, be vigilant. We do not know the day or the hour when Jesus returns. Now, we don't need to live in fear, but are we ready? Have you, have I, have we surrendered all things to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Are you still holding out? Because I know there's some here who haven't put their faith in Jesus. You're on the outside. Is there anything in our lives that we've willingly told the Lord, I'm not surrendering that? We've got to be vigilant and ready and waiting. Jesus himself, I mean, Paul himself says here in verse three, he says, when they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains in a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Jesus expounds way more on that. So does the book of Revelation. We're not going to dive into that. But Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25. Two big, huge chapters, Mary, homework. Or Jesus talks all about the end times, where there'll be wars, rumors of wars, famine, earthquakes, pestilence. Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Hmm. Looks like we're watching CNN or Fox News, isn't it? There's a passage in Matthew chapter 25. It's verse 9 through 14. It makes me, it encourages me. It spurs me on. It provokes me and it concerns me. But in Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 14, if you want to open your Bibles to that passage, it will be up on the screen. Jesus is talking about the end times. And this is what he says. He says, then they will hand you over to be persecuted. That's already happening now. All throughout the world, Christians are being persecuted everywhere. It happened to the apostles. All but one was killed for their faith. And they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. This is Jesus speaking. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. That's referring to many people who claim to be Christians will fall away. They'll betray one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. It's happening all the time. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. My love has grown cold over the past two and a half years. Looking at the lawlessness, not only here in this country, but in our dear Mexico and the world, I've gotten much more cynical, hard-hearted. And Jesus saying, because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. Only Holy Spirit can revive our hearts to love 
even if we walk in a city, a society, and a culture of lawlessness. It is birthed by Holy Spirit, and only through the presence of the Holy Spirit can we truly love. And Jesus is predicting it. Oh, may we not fall into that right there. May our love not grow cold just because we see lawlessness all around us. But may the love of Jesus so stir our hearts to love the unlovable, to forgive, to have mercy and compassion, to give, even when the culture is full of division and hate and revenge, wickedness and evil. Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Paul here in 1 Thessalonians is referring to Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Matthew 24 and 25 just are much more specific. But Paul goes on to say and says, but you are not of darkness, you're of the light. So live as children of light, be self-controlled. You see, Paul wrote Timothy, a letter to Timothy years later. And this is how Paul described the last days to Timothy in First Timothy chapter, in Second Timothy chapter three. This is how Paul describes the last days. He says, "But know this: hard times will come in the last days." And I'm sure Paul described this to the Thessalonians. For people will be lovers of themselves; they'll be lovers of money; they'll be boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Whew unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Again, the nightly news. Now, we're to avoid such people, but we're also to love such people. How do we do that? I love coffee and tacos. We can talk about it. It's only through the power of Holy Spirit, and Paul talks about it here. In verse 8, he tells us to put on the armor of faith and of love, to put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. You see, we are in a spiritual war, a war and we've got to clothe ourselves with Jesus and we've got to ask Holy Spirit to so fill us each and every day that Jesus oozes out of us. When you squeeze the toothpaste, what comes out? No. Whatever's inside. When you get squeezed and hard-pressed, what comes out? I pray that Jesus oozes out of us. We have to be clothed by Jesus, filled by Jesus, overwhelmed by Jesus in his presence, remembering. And one of the ways is to remember he's coming back soon. He's coming for his own. He will not leave us abandoned or orphaned. We do not have to, we will grieve, but we don't have to grieve without hope. And one day when he returns, He will stand upon this earth. And as our dear brother Job from centuries ago, millennials ago said, I know my Redeemer lives and I will see him face to face. Paul concludes this whole passage by saying, encourage one another and build each other up with these words. It's not being Pollyannish. 
but we need to remember and keep the finish line in sight. Jesus is coming back soon. Let's stand. I invite the worship team to come back. I've shared some stories earlier about some of my nightmares about missing Christmas. The most tragic thing would be missing Christ's return and not being ready. I have one question for you. What is one thing that the Lord is speaking to you about this morning in this passage? What is one thing? Let's pray. Let's just take a moment in silence. What is one thing the Lord is speaking to you today? Father, we thank you so much that you love us. You've adopted us as your sons and daughters. You've given us your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, one day you will return us on a white horse with thousands and thousands of angels and a myriad of dear brothers and sisters who've already passed away and are with you. And you'll gather us, you'll snatch us up, we'll meet you in the air, and we'll be with you forever. May we never forget that truth and may we worship you and declare Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We worship you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. If you need prayer, some of us will be over here at Next Steps ready to pray with you. Let's worship and sing to the Lord.